Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So you know, when we gather for worship, I know that many people like to hear a sermon. That's one of the things that they really enjoy, especially in this church. We have many people who even enjoy going and listening to other church services just to hear their sermons. But can you imagine sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing a sermon from him? In our lesson from John today, this is what's going on. Jesus is giving a a message and a teaching, giving his disciples hope. I mean, no better sermon could be found. But yet, in order to set the scene, we actually have to turn back a chapter to John 13. At the beginning of John 13, we're informed of the things that are to come. See, John starts off pretty early on this path that Jesus must take to Golgotha. Starts all the way in chapter 13. And he begins by setting the scene of the betrayal that's about to happen. We have an interaction between Jesus and Judas. A heavy focus on how the devil is using Judas for his will. And this heavy focus between Jesus and Judas that they seem to know what's about to happen. They know what's going to go on. And Jesus says, go and do what you must do. But right before that, Jesus continues his work, his important work of teaching these disciples. Eventually, Jesus is going to depart, going to ascend into heaven, going to be seated at the right hand of God. So he must prepare these men to lead his church. And to prepare these leaders, he's teaching them to be humble. And he does so by washing the disciples' feet, something that a teacher would not do, something a servant would do. I mean, these men are are wearing shoes that are, are, are likely very breathable because it's a hot, arid place. There's dust, there's dirt, maybe a little manure. It's not a pleasant thing. But the humble master washes his disciples' feet, teaching them humility. And after this, Judas leaves. Now again, only Jesus and Judas seem to really know what's going on. The, The rest of the apostles are just kind of... I don't know, out of it. They're not really paying attention to it. But he sits these, these disciples down at table with him. This is right before the Last Supper. And he talks to them as his beloved friends and students. He says, I've got a new command for you. To love one another as I love you. And he gives them this because he's going to be leaving soon. There's a heavy air in the, in the room as Jesus says this. And Peter, Peter's always the one who seems to chime in, right? But Peter speaks up and says, where are you going? But it seems that Jesus doesn't answer. He simply tells Peter, you can't come. Peter, of course, as we all would, stops and says, well, wait, why not? I will lay down my life for you. But Jesus informs him that he will deny him soon. This heavy air seems to not have lifted off of this this room of disciples. But that's what leads us into our lesson from John 14 today. This is why Jesus starts in John 14 with, Let not your hearts be troubled. The air is heavy in this room and their hearts are just as heavy. They are troubled. 
But Jesus leads them, guides them, and teaches them by saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. Believe in God. Believe in me. Yes, I'm going. I I have to go, but I'm going to a very special place. I'm going to be with my Father. And in my Father's house, there are many rooms. There's plenty of space for you all. You will not be left behind. You will be welcomed by me. I'm telling you the truth. I'm going right now to prepare this for you. But as I am leaving, I am leaving now, and you cannot come with me. But yet, there will be a time when I will return, and I will bring you with me. Thomas then chimes in. We always know of Thomas as being the one who who doubts after the resurrection. But Thomas, again, in a, a very realistic thing, says, well, we don't know where you're going, so, so how do we know where you're going, right? It's, it's the kind of thing of if your friend says, oh yeah, I'll meet you, I'll meet you over there, you're, you're going to stop and say, over where, right? So Jesus chimes in and says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through him. How will he know the way? Through Christ, through trust, through faith, through all the things that God is doing, they will know. As we hear elsewhere in Scripture, they will be blessed by the Holy Spirit. As we see it in Acts chapter 2, they are blessed by the Holy Spirit. And they are led along the way of God. And there will be a point in time that they will see the Father face to face, but right now as you see Jesus you see the Father's face. Philip, who's another one of these apostles that we really don't hear of too often, he says, well, I would like to see the Father's face right now. And Jesus says, you see him. You see him in me. I have told you these things. And and if you will not believe all of this, then, then believe in the works that my Father's doing through me. Believe. Trust. Now, the apostles must be extremely confused and baffled in, in all of this. Right? They have, they have seen Jesus do amazing things, unreal things. He has, he has healed the blind. He has made the lame walk. I always think of that story that, that's so profound that the man who is led in through the roof of the house for Jesus to heal. And he heals him. He gets up and he picks up his own mat and walks away. This man who couldn't go anywhere without the assistance of anyone gets up and leaves. This is what these apostles have seen. But yet their hearts are still troubled and their belief is still shaken. They believe, but yet Jesus really pushes them, do you really believe? And after this, we keep following the story. As we're still in the season of Easter, it's still fresh in our minds as we watch Jesus and the disciples gather together for the Passover meal. We see Jesus institute the Lord's Supper. As they all gather together, they celebrate this new and wonderful thing, but then they go to Gethsemane. And nothing seems to be good about Gethsemane. Jesus three times goes to the Father and says, I don't want to do what I know has to be done. 
but yet not my will be done, your will be done. Every time he seems to be abandoned by his disciples who would rather sleep than keep watch for him. But then there's that one disciple who shows up late. And he shows up with an armed regiment, people with clubs and swords and torches, and they come and arrest Jesus. When Jesus is arrested, it's, it's not a simple thing. He's beaten. He's dragged around. And he's dragged before the Jewish authorities, the Roman authorities. And while there seems to be just this baffling thing that every time they bring anything against him, he's innocent, but yet they convict him of guilt. And he is finally condemned to be crucified. He carries his cross up to Golgotha, to the place of the skull. No place called the place of the skull could be anything but awful. And as we see, it's worse than awful. It's horrifying what Jesus goes through. But Jesus does it as the Son of God. Jesus does it as God in the flesh. Jesus does it willingly as you and me. Because what Jesus does on the cross is that he takes the entirety of the wrath of God against sin and he bears it for us. That should have been us, but it wasn't. And what's even better about this is that Jesus, when he gives up his final breath and hangs his head to die, when he is taken down, when he is placed in the tomb, the important thing about this is that he is placed in the tomb dead. That it's not some, some trick or anything like that. He is actually dead. But on Easter, he is alive. Christ is risen from the dead. The grave cannot hold him. That stone that the women were, were terrified, thinking, how in the world are we going to move this thing out of the way? That they were stressing about that, that is no matter for Jesus to move out of the way. He, in his power and authority and might and glory and any other adjective you want to add on to him, he is risen. When Jesus says that he's the way, the truth, and the life, the most important thing for us to see and focus on is that life. Because as Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians, without this resurrection, everything is pointless. This is the work, right? When Jesus says that if, if you can't believe in me, trust in the works that I do. This is the work that we go to. We go to the cross. We see what Jesus has done for humanity to save us, to redeem us. This is the work that we believe in. Because while those, those healings that Jesus, do, that Jesus does are, are astounding and amazing, God has blessed us with technology. Where, where doctors and scientists are able to make people hear again or see again. They're able to do miraculous things. But the key that this Jesus does is from death to life. That his work on the cross has removed the punishment of sin, has removed the penalty of death, and has been blessed and then has blessed us with his life. Only God can do that. 
Only God can bless with life. And it is from that one event, certainly no insignificant thing, that the entirety of our church goes. The apostles, encouraged and empowered and blessed by Christ and by God and by the Holy Spirit, they are the ones who begin this huge following of the church. And these men go and they proclaim this work. If you go and you look at all of the sermons, they continually talk about how all of these things led up to this one point when Jesus died and rose from the grave. That is the key to all of this. That is the truth. And for these people who are moving people and and leading people to a new life, this is the way. It is through the resurrection of Christ. We are set free. We are given forgiveness. We are blessed to be God's own sons and daughters. We are given so many things that they will never run out in this life or in the next. And it is in this confidence that we go. When we seek to follow this way that Jesus says that he is, if he is the way to the Father, if he is the way to the truth and life, we want to follow that. Why wouldn't you want to follow that? And so we, we observe Scripture and we see what that looks like. When we look at Acts, we see this selection of, of verses from Acts chapter 2. I would encourage you to go, or not chapter 2, excuse me, 6 and 7. I'd encourage you to go back and read the entirety of this. See, the lectionary kind of breaks it up in little bits so that you can kind of get the, the overview of it all. But Stephen's speech before these people is astounding. And he convicts them. You have killed him. Notice, though, what's also interesting is is what Peter preaches at Pentecost and what Stephen preaches, they're the same thing. The fathers who came before pointed to this Jesus whom you killed. Truly, he speaks to us as well as our sins put him on the cross as well. But from there, we move on the way. Hearing this truth, we move towards life. But these people are stiff-necked. We have this, this Stephen who is an astounding person, who is chosen by the, the gathering of people to do things, and he stands out as someone who is doing amazing things, great wonders and signs. But yet these stiff-necked people can't stand it. They come up against him, and he just puts them down every single time. And so they bring him before the authorities and he proclaims the truth. He proclaims the way. He proclaims the life all found in Christ and in God. Reminding them that you have killed them. That your sins put him on that cross. But that the mercy of God is that he is no longer dead. But that he is alive and you can turn from yourself back to God. But these stiff-necked people, so stiff that they can barely turn their own necks, let alone turn away from their sins, they refuse to hear and they kill Stephen. They murder him. This is what they refuse to give up. Nancy said it well in the children's message. Sometimes there's a lot of thorns that we have to go through in the way. The martyrs went through much worse. 
Following the way of God is not always an easy thing, but as we look at what Peter is saying, Peter in his first letter is, is writing to people who are persecuted, who are being persecuted in modern day Turkey. These people are, are suffering because they're following the way. But Peter reminds them in our lesson from scripture that you're new. You are new bricks that are being built up into this magnificent new temple. That Christ has been laid as the cornerstone and the foundation. That he is the one that you are then built upon. Building up into a new wonderful place. And not just this, this chosen stone or anything like that, but you are a royal priesthood, a chosen people, that through the way, the truth, and the life, you have all of these new and wonderful things. You have been chosen to be redeemed. While, yes, your sins crucified and killed Jesus, he chose you. He chose those nails so that he would be crucified for you because he chose you for life. He chose to set you free. So following the way, we choose to be a part of this. Again, that choice is a little strange because in reality, God leads us to this. It's such a, such a strange thing because it's something you can't seem to escape from, no matter how hard you fight it. Following the way is, is the way that we seek to, to go. And so to follow the way, it begins with understanding this important thing of the resurrection. To understand how you have been chosen by God. To understand how you have been set free by the forgiveness of Christ. But then it also takes you to take some steps that you actually need to follow. From that life, from that forgiveness, that's when you follow the way. And let me tell you, it's not going to be big grand displays like the martyrdom of Stephen. It's going to be little things like calling somebody and checking in on them. Like saying, I'll pray for you, and then actually praying for a person. It's little seemingly insignificant and unnoticeable things. Spending time with somebody while they're, they're mourning the loss of their loved ones. Giving somebody hope or encouragement while they suffer from the loss of a job. Bringing food to, you know, to somebody who you know is in need. These are little things. Those events are not going to be written down in any book that's going to be passed down and read by other humans. But God notices us following the way. Being a part of this unique new life that God gives us. It doesn't always look like the martyrdom of Stephen where he was killed for his profession of faith. But whether it's that martyrdom or whether it's you giving to a food shelf, whether it's Stephen proclaiming that, that wonderful sermon or you growing in God's word, it's a step on the same path, on the same way, in the same direction, at the same pace. This is not a competition to see who can get to the end of the way first. This is the way of life that we all now walk. So be bold in these things. Don't shy away from thinking that, that you're not good enough. 
put away those doubts, push them away through the grace of God, and reach out to your neighbor who's across the street who's probably pretty lonely. Or to that person who is in our church who needs somebody to talk to, call them up on the phone. Or again, things like food shelves. St. Vincent de Paul is just as busy as they always are because there are still people in a great amount of need. Everywhere you go, there are ways that you can walk on this way where God has called you, where Jesus, as the way, the truth, and the life, is calling you to follow his ways. Amen, brothers and sisters.